سلام شنونده عزیز ladies and gentlemen welcome back to kitabkhane jade maiwan the show where two passionate bookworms borrow their favorite reads and no maiwan hasn't undergone any drastic transformation but we do have a major shake up for this episode i farisaidi will be taking over the hosting duties while maiwan takes the well deserved hot seat Don't worry, this isn't a coup or anything. We just want to mix things up and give each other the chance to present our favorite books. Speaking of mixing up, we got not one but two non-fictional books for you this month by the same author, who's a survivor of the Holocaust. That's right, folks. We're diving into some heavy material, but trust us, these books are a must-read. We will be exploring themes of resilience, courage and hope in the face of unimaginable hardships. So if you're feeling down or need a little inspiration, grab a stiff drink, we won't judge, <laughs> and settle in for an unforgettable episode. But before we dive into our double feature of the month, let's keep the spirit of Jody Maiwan alive and ask him the question that always make him smile. What would you like to drink, Maivan? Hi there, Farah. Well, for the amazing books um, we're going to be discussing today, I think a glass of beautiful red wine will do. Would you agree? Yes, actually, I'll have it with you. All right, let me make you uh, your drink. Here we go. To your health. Well, to your health. Cheers. Cheers. Now when we have that sorted, it's time to hand over the mic to Maivan and let him do what he does best. Maivan, without further ado, please introduce us to your literary gems of the month. The floor is yours, my love. All right, perfect. So, welcome Shanandai Aziz, also known as Bookworms and Book Lovers. Um, it's your favorite book club co-host here, uh, ready to dive in into another exciting episode. And I have to admit, It feels a little strange to be on this side of the mic. And as you already mentioned, uh, my dear Farah, I am uh, usually the one hosting our book club uh, discussions. But today I'm excited to switch things up and kind of serve as your co-host. And um, I guess who better to share the hosting duties with than all you wonderful listeners. Um, so I love hearing your insights and perspectives on the books we read. So I'm truly, really looking forward to a lively and lovely discussion today. But before we jump in, can I just say, is there anything better than curling up with a good book and a hot cup of tea, or in our case, a glass of wine on a cozy Saturday morning? Hmm? What do you think? That's kind of my favorite thing to do. Right. Uh, and also, obviously... Well, just for the listener, we do not drink wine in the morning. Well, I do. And, you know, <laughs> maybe adding a... Some chocolates into the mix uh, would uh, would do as good as well, don't you think? But that's yeah. just an idea. Well, that sounds actually quite good right now. All right. So, as an avid reader myself, I have to say this: I am excited to be discussing two great books today that have been described as both kind of heart wrenching and uplifting. And I can't wait to share my thoughts and insights with you all. Let's get started. Now, as you already mentioned, uh, we have two books from the same author for today's episode. The choice 
and The Gift, both written by the lovely Edith Agar, one of my favorite authors and human beings of all time. You see, The Choice is a memoir, and The Gift, on the other hand, is more of a practical and inspirational guide. Um, and now both her books, The Choice and The Gift, explore the power of the human spirit and basically how our experiences can be used to kind of create a better future. Now, bo- both books um, share the author's personal stories of survival and resilience during the Holocaust and um, how she was able to basically transform her traumas into a source of strength. And um, both books also provide uh, practical advices and tips on how to stay inspired and find strength when one is faced with life's challenges and make the right choices in life, which is obviously not always an easy thing to do. Now, ultimately, both books are beautiful and inspiring reads that I think will leave readers feeling empowered and hopeful. Does sound amazing, but uh, let's start with the choice first because I believe that was also her first book. So, what is this book about, and what choice is she referring to? All right, so imagine this. Now it's 1944, and 16 year old ballerina and gymnast Edith Egger is sent to Auschwitz. She's separated from her parents on arrival. She endures unimaginable experiences, including being made to dance for the infamous Joseph Mengele. When the camp is finally liberated, she is pulled by an American soldier from a pile of bodies, barely alive. However, the horrors of the Holocaust didn't break at it. You see, in fact, they helped her learn to live again with a life-affirming strength and a truly remarkable resilience. Now, the choice is her unforgettable story. It refers to the idea that we all have the power to make choices in our lives. The title of the book is a reminder to readers that even in the darkest of times, we can choose our response and make positive changes in our lives. Now, in that sense, it's very close to Dr. Frankel's book, Man's Search for Meaning. I believe she was very much inspired by Dr. Frankel's book and um, his concept or his theory of logotherapy. And maybe, you know, at a certain point, I think um, we should definitely do an episode on Dr. Frankel since, you know, we have been discussing, you know, his work and, and his philosophy and, and his books uh, on this podcast many times before. So I think it's about time we properly introduce him and, uh, and his philosophy. What do you think? I agree fully, but I believe you did an episode on uh, another podcast show on uh, Dr. Frankel. Yes, that was in regards to COVID and the very early on, um, how, you know, we could endure all the tough times and uh, what we were going through back then with the help of um, uh, logotherapy and finding meaning in those days. So, yes, there's an episode out as well. I mean, we can, of course, discuss it in this book club as well. I think Dr. Frankel is uh, someone who needs to be rediscussed Every year. Absolutely. At least. Absolutely, and I fully agree. So, and I think I should tell you and the listeners a little bit about Edith herself. Um, so, she has a fascinating story, and I think her books are kind of interwoven with her personal story. You see, so Edith Agar is one of the last remaining Holocaust survivors, and she's an eminent psychologist and a prolific writer. Uh, she was born in Hungary in 1927. Uh, she experienced the horrors of the Holocaust, as we said before, uh, firsthand. And um, 
uh, as we already mentioned, um, before she and her family were sent to Auschwitz in 1944, she was able to survive the concentration camps and and also the communist rule. Uh, people forget this and and all the atrocities uh, of East Europe. And eventually, they uh, immigrated to the United States. Now, Edith has dedicated her life to helping others heal from the traumas um, you know, of their experiences and find the strength to kind of move forward. Um, she's an inspiring example of um, resilience and courage in my mind. So her story has inspired countless people around the world to find hope and purpose in the darkest of times. That sounds like a very inspiring soul. I was wondering if there's any quotes from The Choice that you wanted to share with us. And would you mind reading it loud for our listeners before we dive deeper into our discussions? Yes, definitely. So um, there's a quote actually from her book, The Choice, where she describes a scene as she arrives, um, you know, with the trains in, uh, in the concentration camp, the dead camp, uh, Auschwitz, uh, with her parents and with her sister. And uh, that scene is in the book, and that's what I'm going to read. They open the cattle car doors, and the bright May sun slashes in. We're desperate to get out. We rush toward the air and the light. We practically fall out of the car, tumbling against one another in our hurry to descend. After several days of ceaseless motion of the train, it's hard to stand upright on firm ground. In every way we are trying to get our bearings, piece out our location, steady our nerves and our limbs. I see a crowded dark of winter coats amassed on a narrow stretch of dirt. I see the flash of white in someone's car for a cloth bundle of belongings, the yellow of the mandatory stars. I see the sign, Arbeit macht frei. Music plays. My father is suddenly cheerful. You see, he says, it can't be a terrible place. He looks as though he would dance if the platform weren't so crowded. We'll only work a little till the war is over, he says. The rumors we heard at the brick factory must be true. We must be here to work. I search for the ripple of nearby fields and imagine Eric's lean body across from me, bending to tend the crop. Instead, I see unbroken horizontal lines, the boards on the cattle cars, the endless wires of a fence, low-slung buildings. In the distance, a few trees and chimneys break the flat plain of this barren place. Men in uniform push among us. Nobody explains anything. They just bark simple directions. Go here, go there. The Nazis point and shove. The men are herded in a separate line. I see my father wave to us. Maybe they are being sent ahead to take out a place for their families. I wonder where we will sleep tonight. I wonder when we'll eat. My mother and Magda and I stand together in a long line of women and children. We inch forward. We approach the man who with a conductor's wave of a finger will deliver us to our fates. I do not know yet that this man is Dr. Joseph Mengele, the infamous angel of death. As we advance toward him, I can't look away from his eyes, so domineering, so cold. When we have drawn nearer, I can see a boyish flash of gaped teeth when he grins. His voice is almost kind when he asks if anyone is sick and sends those who say yes 
to the left. If you're over 14 and under 40, stay in this line, another officer says. Over 40, move left. A long line of the elderly and children and mothers holding babies branches off to the left. My mother has gray hair, all gray, early gray, but her face is as smooth and unlined as mine. Magda and I squeeze our mother between us. It's our turn now. Dr. Mengele conducts. He points my mother to the left. I start to follow her. He grabs my shoulder. You're going to see your mother very soon, he says. She's just going to take a shower. And then he pushes Magda and me to the right. We don't know the meaning of left versus right. Where are we going now? We ask each other. What will happen to us? We are marched to a different part of the Spears campus. Only women surround us. Most young. Some look bright, almost giddy. Glad to be breathing fresh air and enjoying the sun on their skin after the relentless tension and claustrophobic dark of the train. Others chew their lips. Fear circulates among us. But curiosity too. Oh, that quote is uh, truly powerful and sets the tone of the book. Before we move forward, I'm curious to know more about Edith. Could you share with us what kind of person she was during her teenage years? Of course, yeah. So she was an eager, uh, curious, and a very talented teenager. She was a ballet dancer and loved gymnastics. Um, okay, so... But then in 1944, she experienced one of the worst evils the human race has ever known. Now, as a Jew living in Nazi-occupied Eastern Europe, she and her family were sent to Auschwitz, the infamous death camp. Incidentally, you know, we have both visited Auschwitz and we read like a dozen books about it, right? And watched documentaries and films such as The Pianist and Schindler's List, things like this. So I would say... Uh, we know a little bit about this hellish place where millions of people were murdered by the Nazi regime. But no matter how much you read about these camps, it still um, remains an enigma. Um, it's difficult to wrap your head around it, right? Um, anyhow, uh, her parents. So her parents were sent to the gas chambers uh, immediately upon arrival in the camp. Uh, but at its bravery, kept her actually and her sister uh, both of them alive. Towards the end of the war, Edith and other prisoners actually um, had been moved to Austria. And on May 4th, 1945, a young American soldier actually noticed her uh, hand kind of moving slightly um, amongst a number of dead bodies. And uh, he quickly summoned, you know, called for help, medical help, and uh, brought her back from the brink of death. So, and um, after the war, uh, she moved to Czechoslovakia, uh, where she met the man she would marry. And, and in 1949, they, um, both of them uh, moved to United States. Uh, in 1969, she received her doctor's degree in psychology from the University of Texas. Um, she's still alive and kicking and um, has a clinical practice in California and um, actually also teaches at the university there. So... She has appeared on numerous uh, television uh, programs, including CNN and the Oprah Winfrey Show. Uh, so she's right there with all the other amazing human beings 
I think we have discussed so far um, as part of our book club. Um, you know, what puts Siomi Park, Tara Westover, and Edit Egger in the same category? I think it's definitely their bravery, their resilience, their anti-fragility, and their amazing courage. And, um, you know, when especially when they were faced with all these hardships and hellish situations. Uh, and this is especially true, I would say, for Edit. Now, her book is a reminder to readers that even in the darkest of times, we can still choose our response and make a positive change in our lives. Wow. I believe there is a scene um, of her earlier childhood or maybe the beginning of the war and she's taken off the sh- uh, she's taken off the team and she's now responsible to train. Could you tell us more about that scene actually? I think that says a lot about her courage, her resilience, her anti-fragility and especially for a kid. Actually, you know what? Let me just uh, read you another quick quote from The Choice, the actual book, where she explains this very scene uh, where she was asked by this, uh, you know, Dr. Dead himself, uh, Joseph Mengele, to dance for him. So it goes something like this. He says, little dancer, Dr. Mengele says, dance for me. He directs the musicians to begin playing. The familiar open strain of the blue Danube waltz filters into the dark. Mengele's eyes bulge at me. I'm lucky. I know a routine to the blue Danube that I can dance in my sleep. But my limbs are heavy, as in a nightmare where there's danger and you can't run away. Dance, he commands again. And I feel my body start to move. First the high kick, then the pirouette and the turn, the splits and up. As I step and bend and twirl, I can hear Mangle talking to his assistant. He never takes his eyes off me, but he attends to his duties as he watches. I can hear his voice over the music. He discusses with the other officers which which one of the hundred girls present will be killed next. If I miss a step, if I do anything to displease him, it could be me. I dance. I dance. I'm dancing in hell. I can't bear to see the executioner as he decides our fates. I close my eyes. So... That's a quote from from her own book, The Choice, where she explains uh, the scene where in that room she dances for Dr. Mangala. And she's only 14. She's 14, yeah. So the dance probably just saves her life, it it seems to me. Yeah. Well, we have a lot to discuss about this book, but um, if you had to rate this book on a scale from one to five stars, how would you rate? Oh, (laughs) I don't think I have to... uh, think for too long i think it's five stars um also maybe interesting for the listeners i think the choice has received widespread praise on goodreads because i checked uh before uh, actually recording this um episode now there were over fifty thousand people uh, who have written a review on this book and readers you know describe it as a powerful and transformative memoir that you know explores her journey to find healing and meaning in her life you know, many readers were also deeply moved by Agar's story and her message of hope and resilience in the face of unimaginable trauma. And the book has been lauded as an important and um, necessary read for anyone seeking to better understand the human condition or the human capacity for survival 
and the power of choice and uh, and shaping one's life. Overall, I think the choice has earned really, really high ratings and uh, glowing reviews um, for all its powerful storytelling and uplifting message. Yes, definitely. Thanks for sharing that, Mai. On a related note, you mentioned the Holocaust earlier. For the benefit of our listener who may not be familiar with it, could you please provide a simple explanation of what the Holocaust was? Additionally, I'm also interested to hear your thoughts on the importance of reading about the Holocaust and learning from the experiences of its survivor, especially for our Afghan listeners. Yes, definitely. I can do that and I can tell you it matters. Okay, um, so... Let me tell you about the Holocaust. The Holocaust was a horrific event that took place in Europe during World War II. And during this time, Nazis murdered six million Jews, okay? And obviously, uh, many other groups, minority groups, such as Roma, you know, dis disabled individuals and LGBTQ plus people, not to forget, mm -hmm. right? And it is important for Afghans to learn about the Holocaust because it serves as a reminder of the dangerous consequences of hate and prejudice, okay? Now, I believe that by understanding the atrocities committed during the Holocaust, my fellow Afghans can work to prevent similar events from happening in the future. That's my hope. And in addition to that, many Holocaust survivors and their families have obviously gone on to kind of make important contributions to their societies and to promote peace and understanding between different groups of people. And, um, you know, people such as Dr. Egger herself and Dr. Frankel, as we discussed before, um, uh, these are the people who, you know, after having experienced the horrors of these places, you know, um, and they were, they were the lucky ones to have survived, but we are the lucky ones that, ha that get the chance to, you know, learn from their experiences. You know, they went through hell, so we don't need to. That's why I read these books. Um, and by learning about the experiences of Holocaust survivors, we Afghans can definitely uh, gain a deeper appreciation for resilience and also the power of hope in the face of adversity, obviously, especially for, you know, from what is going on around the world right now, especially in a country like Afghanistan, as we speak. Um, so, yeah, it matters. You raised an interesting point earlier about the Jews of Europe and the horrific events of the Holocaust. It is important to note that Afghanistan has a rich history of Jewish community that dates back thousands of years. I'm curious to know if any Jews from places like Afghanistan or other countries of the Middle East were sent to the death camps during the Second World War. Maivan, do you have any knowledge or insight about the experience of the Jewish people from the region during the Holocaust? Yes. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about that. Regarding Afghan Jews, um, we know they were not directly targeted in the Holocaust um, because, you know, those events obviously took place mainly in Europe. And, uh, you know, the Nazi regime's focus was obviously on the Jews in that region. Um, however... Now, the principles of hate and prejudice, as I mentioned before, obviously that kind of led to the Holocaust are and were and still are a universal concern. And it's important for people everywhere to learn about the events of the Holocaust in order to 
prevent similar atrocities from occurring in the future. Now to your question about the Jews living in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you see, um, Jews in the Middle East, including those in countries such as Iraq, Syria, and Egypt, were impacted by the events of World War II. And all of them, they faced persecution and discrimination during that time. And some Jews uh, in the region were also arrested. They were deported or forced to um, to flee their homes um, as a result of the war and, and the political upheaval it caused. However, the scale of the violence and the extermination that was carried out against the Jews in Europe during the Holocaust, obviously, that was much more widespread and systematic. Thank you for sharing and uh, summarizing the choice for us. It's a powerful memoir that demonstrates the importance of resilience and the power of choice. Moving to Edith's next book, or should I say Edith's other book, The Gift. So tell us, how does it differ from the choice? And what are some of the main themes and topics explored in the book? Additionally, one more question. Why do you think the book is titled The Gift? Well, let me tell you a little bit about The Gift. Okay, so this book is a profound and thought-provoking book that really delves into the details of the human psyche and the power of the mind to overcome challenges and, um, and also kind of overcome past and current traumas. Now, in this book, Eager um, explores the idea that trauma can serve as a source of growth and liberation, you see, rather than, you know, simply a burden to be carried. Now, that's her message. That's the core of the book, if you ask me. So by examining the ways in which our thoughts and beliefs shape our perceptions and experiences, she offers a unique and powerful perspective on the power of the mind to heal and transform. Now, with vivid and haunting descriptions of the life in Nazi concentration camps and um, and her deeply personal reflections, you know, on her own journey uh, to basically overcome traumas, this book, The Gift, I think, is a testament to the resilience of the human spirit and um, and a call to embrace the beauty and the power of the mind. You see, um, whether you're a seasoned psychologist or simply a curious reader, um, I think the gift is a, uh, it is surely to leave you and, and give you a lasting impression uh, and inspire you to, you know, to take a closer look at the incredible power of the mind. Um, and the gift is simply a beautiful gift to humanity. This is how I, um, you know, how I read the book. And, uh, and why is it called The Gift? Well, um, the title reflects the idea that even the most traumatic experiences can be transformed into a valuable source of insight and growth. Um, if, obviously, approached with an open mind and a willingness to learn uh, and to grow and heal. And um, she shows how even you know, the darkest moments of life can actually uh, be transformed in a source of empowerment, kind of helping individuals uh, to develop a deeper understanding of themselves, build resilience, and ultimately kind of lead to a more fulfilling and meaningful life. And the gift is basically a symbol. It symbolizes the idea that we can choose to see adversity as an opportunity, like a gift, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it, once, you, once you have read the book, mm-hmm. it really encourages you to look differently at what's happening around you. 
whether they are adversities, challenges, problems, issues that you're facing at that moment, or maybe they are past traumas mm. that you have uh, experienced yourself. Now, all of that can be transformed mm. into something that you can use in, in the now. Yep. Right? Which uh, makes me wonder, actually, you mentioned Dr. Frankel earlier and his uh, logotherapy theory. Do you have any insight on whether Edith Ager has developed her own approach or perspective on trauma and healing? Before I answer that question, I just wanted to uh, pause and uh, actually tell you a little bit more about this book, um, The Gift. By uh, all means. Yes, because you ask why The Gift, and uh, here is why. I, uh, I will actually um, read a little bit here from uh, the book and the contents, actually. So you see, in chapter one, she goes on to explain what victimhood means, okay? Chapter two is about avoidance. Now, by avoiding certain issues or certain problems or the things that bug us on a daily basis, that avoidance is actually, in the long term, not something you should be willing to do because it will come back and haunt you, you see, in, in several ways. Uh, victimhood is another one. Um, so that, you know, it's basically try not to um, see yourself as a victim all the time. Yes, you have been victimized, but you don't need to live your life as if you are an eternal victim. You see, she goes on to explain that. And that there's self-neglect, uh, you know, about secrets, uh, guilt and shame, unresolved grief, uh, resentment, by the way. And uh, so here is a thing about resentment, which I really loved uh, in her book, okay? So, um this is uh, page 121 in her book, and uh, she explains something really, really interesting. Uh, so she says, the biggest disruptor of intimacy is low-level chronic anger and irritation. Okay? And she calls this um, chapter, would you like to be married to you? That's basically a question. <laughs> and then she says, the prison of resentment. And she considers Everyone who feels resentment towards anyone, whether it's yourself or anyone else, that's basically you building a prison in your for mind yourself. for yourself. Yes. So here is, uh, here is something I'm going to read from the resentment chapter. When we are angry, it's often because there is a gap between our expectations and reality. We think it's the other person who is trapping and aggravating us. But the real person is our unrealistic expectations. Often, we marry like Romeo and Juliet without really knowing each other. We fall in love with love or with an image of a person to whom we have assigned all the traits and characteristics we crave or with someone with whom we can repeat the familiar patterns we learned in our families of origin or we present a false self, seeking love and a secure relationship by giving up who we really are. Falling in love is a chemical high. It feels amazing and it's temporary. When the feelings fade, we are left with a lost dream, with a sense of loss over the partner or relationship we never had in the first place. So that's, that's the quote uh, in the book. So yes, it's a gift to all of us. It's, it was a gift to me. Uh, this is how I considered it while I was reading it. I really loved it. That's powerful. Oh, by the way, what was your question again? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, actually, you kind of answered it, but I would love to know if, uh, like Dr. Frankel, 
who has developed logotherapy theory, mm-hmm. um, have uh, Erin Aker also developed her own unique philosophy or therapeutic approach based on her experiences? Yes, well, that's a great question. And um, yes, she has done so very much. Um, she actually talks about this in her book, um, The Gift. Uh, she mentions, for example, that, ther- that her own therapeutic approach is eclectic and intuitive, if you will. Uh, it's like a blend of kind of insight and cognitive-oriented theories and practices. Um, I know it's a, it's a mouthful, and she explains in the book what, it, what all it means, but um, what it basically means is that she has developed this unique approach, um, which she calls choice therapy. Why? Well, because she believes freedom is fundamentally about choice. That's what all her philosophy is about, okay? She says that while we all suffer, it is universal to suffer. Nevertheless, we can always choose how we respond to bring about positive change. And that is her unique take. Okay. Now, her theory is more like a combination of positive psychology, uh, CBT. Um, I'm sure some listeners would be uh, familiar with this term, but it's um, cognitive behavior therapy. Um, She's also a fan of humanistic psychology. And finally, as, um, as we already mentioned, Viktor Frankl's logotherapy, uh, which is uh, basically all about meaning and finding meaning and, uh, and difficult uh, situations. And Dr. Frankl, who also was her mentor, uh, was her friend and a fellow Auschwitz survivor. Um, her approach is basically all about how to harness strength and resiliency, kind of try to create meaning, uh, understand uh, our own thoughts, because, um, you know, thoughts create our feelings and our behaviors. Uh, it's all about acceptance, um, you, you know, and she mentions this numerous times in the book, uh, which is how can you love yourself unconditionally? Because we always, when it comes to loving each other or someone else, we always put conditions. And she says, no, don't do that. Try something else. Try something uh, original. Uh, you know, just try unconditional love and see what happens. Uh, it opens up doors and minds. The book basically focuses on healing. Um, it focuses on fulfillment and our freedom to choose our responses to whatever life brings us. You know, whether it is Auschwitz or Kabul uh, under the Taliban, uh, you know, uh, by choosing how we respond, uh, she tells us, we can still make a difference. Uh, we can make uh, meaning and derive purpose uh, from all our experiences, especially when we suffer. So all of this, according to Dr. Agar, allows us to live in the present moment, right? In the present instead of the past. That's her message. Uh, It gives us the proper tools to unlock the doors to our mental prisons. Which makes me wonder that uh, now you already read a quote, but is there any other quote or passages from the gift that uh, resonated with you? Yes, actually, there are a couple, but um, let me, for example, read something from this chapter to you. So she says, we aren't born with fear. Somewhere along the way, we learn it. Okay. By the way, this book is full of these one-liners. I love them. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, and also, as I said before, uh, practical advices as well. So, here is another quote. I do have a feeling that Sparta and I are going to be listening to these wine liners for a while now. Yes, well, I have uh, uh, made notes um, <laughs> while I was reading them, so I'll be using them on a daily basis. But um, so here is, she says in the book, here is another way to think about it. 
if you're a perfectionist, you're competing with God. And you're human. You're going to make mistakes. Don't try to beat God because God will always win. It doesn't take courage to strive for perfection. It takes courage to be average. To say, I'm okay with me. To say, good enough is good enough. So that's a quote from that book. And she goes on to say, for example, here's another one-liner. There's a difference between stress and distress. Distress is constant threat and uncertainty. Stress, on the other hand, is actually a good thing. So she goes on to explain what the differences are. So, yeah. Um, It leaves me kind of wondering if you had to recommend just one of her books, Mm. The Choice or The Gift, which one would it be? Well, I think that's a really tough question, but I think um, I would probably recommend The Choice, to be honest with you. Um, It has a powerful message of hope and resilience, I think, in the book. Um, It highlights the idea that individuals have the power to shape their own experiences and kind of overcome challenges through their choices and attitudes. And I think that's extremely important uh, in our world today. And this message of personal agency, basically, and empowerment can be especially valuable and inspiring to our listeners, I think, um, regardless of their cultural background. Um, the book's focus on the importance of choosing hope and resilience is a universal message um, that can definitely resonate with people everywhere. Therefore, my choice would be the choice. And As we're coming to an end of this episode, would you mind sharing some uh, key takeaways and thoughts from both books? I'm also curious to know your thoughts on how relevant these books are on the present day, especially in the context of the ongoing events in countries such as Ukraine, Afghanistan, and also Turkey and Syria right now. Yes. Well, that's a, that's a good question. And, um, you know, both these books, uh, The Choice and The Gift, um, they offer a wealth of wisdom, really. And uh, they're inspirational for readers. Uh, for me personally, um, especially those facing challenges and adversity in their own lives, uh, maybe as we speak. Um, So I knew you were going to ask this question, and so I have actually um, made up some of the key uh, personal takeaways for these. I have six of them, actually, uh, that I took from both books. And um, so here's the first one. I think it's the power of choice. That's number one for me. Uh, Both books emphasize the idea that individuals have the power to shape their own experiences and kind of overcome adversity through their choices and attitudes. Um, and by choosing hope and resilience in the face of adversity, individuals can empower themselves and build a better future. That's number one. Number two for me would be overcoming traumas. You see, now in Agar's experiences as a Holocaust survivor, provide a powerful example of basically how individuals can overcome even the most traumatic and difficult experiences and develop the tools they need to build a better future. Third, embracing the present moment. This is really something that uh, is mainly, I would say, uh, the focus of the gift. Um, So Eggers' message of living in the present moment, focusing on the here and now can easily be relevant today and inspiring in a world that uh, often encourages us uh, 
uh, or encourages people to focus on the future and the past, right? And uh, so, and then number four, the importance of hope and resilience. We talked about that already. And I think um, Dr. Agar provides a powerful message of inspiration and encouragement. And this message, I truly think, can be especially relevant for Afghan readers facing ongoing conflict and political instability. And then number five would be the dangers of anti-Semitism. Eger's experiences as a Holocaust survivor serve as a powerful reminder of the dangers of anti-Semitism and the importance of fighting against hate and prejudice in all its forms anywhere in the world. Uh, number six, uh, the power of the mind. You see now, Eger's book, The Gift, uh, explores the idea that our thoughts and beliefs shape our perceptions and experiences, perceptions of, our, of ourselves and the people around us. Um, it kind of highlights the incredible power of the mind to, uh, you know, use that power in order to heal and transform ourselves. Okay. Now, in light of the ongoing conflict and political instability of Afghanistan, I think these messages of hope, resilience, and personal agency. Um, can be especially relevant and inspiring to Afghan audiences and Afghan listeners. Um, and by learning from Eger's experiences and our powerful message of hope and empowerment, uh, I think our listeners, uh, if they are Afghan, if they are non-Afghan as well, um, can gain valuable insights uh, into their own lives, uh, into their own minds, and uh, try to kind of develop tools that they would uh, need to basically overcome lives many challenges because those challenges will keep coming as we conclude this episode of Jody Mayan book club let's reflect on the wisdom and insight share For the pages of the books we have discussed holds a power beyond words in the stillness of our souls let's embrace the gift of reading for it's there we find transformative force that touches our heart and ignites our mind. In the pages of these books, we discover a path to resilience, a journey of courage, and a message of hope that resonates beyond time and space. Like a phoenix rising from ashes, we too can rise from the depth of our pain and traumas. By immersing ourselves in the stories of others, we are reminded of our own strength and resilience. Through the power of choice, we can transform our struggles into gifts that we can offer to the world. And that's beautifully said. I love that. And in conclusion, uh, by sharing Edith's experiences as a Holocaust survivor and her message of hope and inspiration, we hope, or I hope, that you, my dear listener, will be inspired to read these books for yourself and gain a deeper understanding of the power of the mind, the power of your own mind, the importance of hope and resilience, and the dangers of anti-Semitism, hatred, and prejudice. We encourage you to educate yourself about Edith Egger, her work, and her incredible journey of survival, and embrace the lessons and the insights found in these beautiful and insightful books as they seek to build a better, more hopeful future for yourself and your communities. And thank you for listening, and I hope you have enjoyed this conversation. Dear listener, your opinion and insight on the books we've discussed are important to us. 
We welcome your suggestions for further episodes and love to know what you think about the books we've explored so far. So don't be afraid to share your thoughts and ideas. And if you have any favorite book that you believe should be explored on this show, please share them with us. Now, before we leave, I would like to leave you with one quote that captures the heart of this podcast. The quote is by Dr. Seuss. The more you read, the more things you will know. The more you learn, the more places you will go. Till next, next time. time.